The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Anyways, I'm excited. If this is your first day or if you've been around here from the very beginning, happy one-year anniversary, Story City. It has been an incredible, incredible journey. And if you're just here for the food truck today, you're welcome too. We're glad you're here. And it's going to be a fun day. Hey, I want to do something. If you have a Bible, if not, it's okay. We're going to put the scriptures on the screen today. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one after the service is over. You can stop by the Connect table. But I want us to go to the scriptures in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 for a few minutes. And I want us to see one of the first church plants in scripture. And what I want to do is I want us to see and capture God's heart for the mission that he began to unfold Many, many years before Acts 16 ever unfolded and many, many, many years before we ever arrived in Los Angeles to plant a church for the story of God for the city of L.A. And, and what, I want to, what, I, what, I want, what I want for us to uh, see today is uh, I, I want us just to capture um, some of the rhythms of, of a church planning movement and a gospel movement and what that looks like when we see Scripture. I want us to have an appreciation for God's movement throughout the story that He's been writing. And then I want us to end in this place where I want us to have an appreciation to see why and the part that we have, like why we're doing what we're doing. And the, and the role that we play in this whole process, in the story that God has been writing, not only in our city, but globally around the world, before we ever started, while we're here, and after we're gone. And I hope you'll have an appreciation for that, all right? So Acts chapter 16 is our storyline today. And um, let me just give you some background. It's the founding of the church in Philippi. Philippi was a very prominent city and one of the most prominent nations on the planet at the time. Philippi was in Macedonia, which is modern-day northern Greece. Philippi was a hub for education, business, government. It was actually a, um, it was a settlement for retired soldiers, retired Roman soldiers. And the Roman government would send them to Philippi, and they were charged with the responsibility for settling the town. It would almost be like a Roman outpost. They would be Roman citizens, and they would be given tax-free status. And so... Uh, Philippi was one of the places that the early believers desired to plant a church. And so this guy named Paul came to faith in Christ. It was miraculous. We'll tell a little bit of his story here in just a moment. He came to faith in Christ. God changed his life. He was transformed. And so he was sent to one of the first churches in Antioch. And when Paul goes to Antioch, he spends a year there establishing one of the first ministry schools. He teaches the scriptures for a year, and he teaches the believers in Antioch for an entire year. And at the end of the year, the believers who were in charge of the church in Antioch prayed together. The scripture says they fasted together, and they called out Paul, who was formerly Saul. His life had been changed. And they said, Paul, we want you to be one of our first commissioned church planting missionaries. And we have a place that we want you to go plant a church. And so Paul sets out on his first church planting missionary endeavor. And what we know is that Paul originally tried to go east to Asia. And the Spirit of God redirected Paul and he ended up in this town called Philippi. And so when we read scripture, Paul actually writes a letter to the Philippians. 
And, um, and unlike most every other letter that Paul writes to churches, Paul typically starts out by asserting his authority. He would always start out and say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He would, he would tell those churches who he was and the authority that God had given him because he knew he was writing to churches who were in gross, negligent sin. However, when he writes to the Philippians, Paul doesn't start out that way. He starts out writing a letter, and he describes himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus. The reason why he describes himself differently, and as we read the book of Philippians, is that we learn that Paul had a great love and affection for the Philippian church. And they were unlike the other churches that he wrote. They were unlike the other churches who were involved in gross negligent sin. Paul didn't have any major theological corrections that he needed to to institute in the church at Philippi. But, but Philippi, the church of Philippi, was one of the first churches that Paul started. And so before we ever get to the book of Philippians, which we're not going to preach that today. We'll preach it at some point in the future. And we'll work our way all the way through the entire book of Philippians. And we'll focus on the theme of joy. But today, I want you to see the founding of the church in Philippi. And I want you to, we're going to run through these scriptures really quickly. And then here's what I'm going to do. At the end, I want to just give us some rhythms. I want to identify some, some distinguishing marks of a church plan and gospel movement. And then here's what I want to do. After one year, our goal was, man, we just want to get this thing up off the ground. And then now we're moving into a season where we really want to cast vision into the life of our church. And I want you to see today the church that I see. I want you to see the church that I see. And I hope you'll see what God has for our church and the desire that he has for us. So Acts chapter 16 Starting in verse 13. Acts 16, starting in verse 13, the scripture says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things that were spoken by Paul. We, we just understand from the way that this, this is written in Greek that this wasn't just a one-off moment. This was a series of conversations that Paul was having. This wasn't a stand-on-the-stage preaching um, moment. This was a sitting by the river and having gospel conversations with this lady named Lydia. And the Lord opened her heart, verse 14, to respond to the things by Paul. Verse 15, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So what we understand here is that when Paul arrives in Philippi, there are no churches there. Uh, There are no synagogues. Philippi is a religious city, mostly religious in other forms of religiosity, but not specifically Jewish. We know that in order for a synagogue to be started, there had to be ten men. But when Paul arrives, there is no synagogue, so we have to assume that there weren't even ten Jews in the city. So Paul decides to walk outside the city, and he interrupts a prayer meeting with a group of women. And in that prayer meeting with a group of women, he encounters this successful businesswoman whose home is not even in Philippi, but she's here on business and probably she's there for an extended period of time. She's from another city, a city that's well known for their purple fabrics that are, that are in the fashion industry that are made that go around the world. 
And so as she, as Paul encounters this woman and he has conversation with her, what we find out is that she's a religious woman, but the gospel had not yet been applied to her life. She had not yet clearly understood who Jesus was and what he could do in her life. And as Paul narrates the gospel story, the story unfolds that this successful businesswoman confesses her life to Jesus and we go on to learn that it was her entire household that would also hear the gospel and their lives would be given to Jesus as well. According to verse 40 in Acts chapter 16, the church in Philippi would be founded in her house. I think it's also interesting to note that Lydia is, uh, as far as we know, according to scripture, the first European convert in scripture. The first European convert. It's also interesting to know that as Paul is making his first church planning missionary journey, he wants to go east to Asia, but the Spirit of God redirects him in the verses before this, and he ends up going west into Macedonia, northern Greece. And what happens, the result, the unfolding narrative of God over several thousand years is that the gospel penetrates into Europe. And of course, we we're founded as a Christian nation who came as a, with a group of pilgrims and missionaries who came west to America. We are the result. We are part of the narrative of God that was originally established and instituted in the heart of a lady named Libya, Lydia, who was a seller of purple fabrics, a successful businesswoman, and the gospel goes forth. That's the first storyline that we have in the founding of the Church of Philippi. The gospel has now circumvented the globe because Lydia came to faith in Christ and the church was started in her home. Now look at verse 16, the second storyline that we have here. The second storyline, it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, this is Paul and Silas, the same place where Lydia was. A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us and she was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. So this is a girl, unlike the businesswoman who Lydia was, this is a girl whose life is in chaos and her livelihood is bound up in being owned by a business owner who uses her to tell fortunes and they make money off of her. And so this is what happens. As Paul and Silas are sharing the gospel in the city of Philippi, it says she's struck by a demon and, and then verse 17, it says, following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bondservants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. So on the surface, we think, wow, this is amazing. A girl who has a demon is now propagating the gospel, but that's actually not what's happening there. She's, she has this demon and it's also in sort of a derogatory way towards the mission that Paul and Silas were trying to establish. So I find this interesting in verse 18. She continues doing this for many days and then Paul gets ticked but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and it came out at that very moment we don't have a record of this slave girl in the rest of scripture we don't know anything throughout history about this slave girl in the rest of history but we just have to assume because it's inserted here in the narrative of scripture that, that this, this girl whose life was in chaos was also one of the founding members of the church at Philippi and her life was changed and she joined up with Lydia to start the church there. So now we have a successful businesswoman. We have a girl whose life is in chaos, who's controlled by a group of slave owners. 
And now God's writing another story here in the founding of the church of Philippi. And look what happens, okay? I'm going to skip over a few verses. I'm going to go down to uh, verse 25. But the verses in between tell us that the slave owners get ticked over Paul and Silas casting out this demon. Now she's in her full mind. Now she's not as profitable as she used to be. And so they're ticked and they stir up the authorities to arrest Paul and Silas. And this is what happens. But about midnight, they're in jail at this point. They're in prison because they've, they've interrupted the flow of business and economics in the city. And the gospel is taking root. And there's a narrative that's happening here. On the surface, we see a couple guys who are religiously persecuted. But at the, at the, at the depths of uh, what God is doing here. God is writing another narrative for the founding of the church of Philippi. Listen to what happens. Verse 25. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Verse 26, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. Verse 27, when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. If a Roman jailer on his watch allowed prisoners to escape, the result for him would be death. And so I believe this is a scheme of the enemy because the enemy knows how God works. And the enemy saw this is not just a happenstance. This is not just an ordinary earthquake. Prisoners are fleeing. I believe the enemy had the foresight to know this is God writing another story line in the founding of the church of Philippi and so he tempts the jailer to take his own life but Paul but Paul but Paul verse 28 cried out with a loud voice and he said do not harm yourself (laughs) for we are all here verse 29 and he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas and after he brought them out he said sirs this is the jailer sirs what must I do to be saved and they said believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household verse 32 and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house so now they've transitioned from the jail to the jailer's home the jailer has been significantly impacted by the gospel example of Paul and Silas in prison and now Paul and Silas are standing in the home and they're preaching the gospel this is not the jailer came to faith in Christ and by proxy all of his family members come to faith in Christ that's not how the gospel works it has to be digested and consumed and transformed in your own life personally and so Paul and Silas go to the home of the jailer they preach the gospel and apparently the entire home comes to faith in Christ and then verse 33 they took them that very hour of the night meaning the jailer and his family took Paul and Silas that very night the same people who they had had had, um, beaten brutally and they take them it says and wash their wounds and immediately he was baptized he and all of his household in meaning meaning here those who had professed faith in Jesus now now Paul and Silas are in jail over this slave girl situation you get the storyline here you understand what's happening. But, but, but even with the prison record, <laughs> even with a prison record, God knows what he's doing and the story that he's writing. So pause just for a moment and let's, let's, let's uh, understand and let's roll the tape back and just see the narrative that God has written here. According to Acts chapter 8, 
Paul, before his life was transformed by Jesus, he literally had a moment where, where he, he met Jesus, his life was changed, but before that ever happened, Acts chapter 8 tells us that he was literally ravaging the church. Those are the words from Scripture. In other words, now Paul in this passage is behind prison doors. Before Paul came to faith in Christ, Paul was on the other side of the prison doors, and he was persecuting Christians. It was his mission, it was his aim to put those who believed in the Christ into jail. In fact, Acts chapter 9 tells us that Paul was a household name to the believers in Rome. In fact, it says to us that, that, uh, that, that Paul desired to fellowship with believers in Jerusalem and the believers were skeptical of Paul after his conversion and they denied him fellowship um, initially with them because they knew of him and they knew of his records. So when Paul came to town, you knew Paul. You knew about him. You knew what he was coming to town to do. He wasn't there to eat snacks. He wasn't there to drink beers. He wasn't there to watch the Super Bowl. He was coming to put you in prison if you were a believer. And that's the reputation Paul had. And the narrative of Scripture, though, <laughs> the wisdom of God takes a man who the Scripture says was ravaging the church, and now he's behind prison bars with a prison record for trying to plant a church in Philippi. <laughs> I don't know your story this morning. I don't know how you arrive here. I don't know if you're mad at God. I don't know if you're sad. I don't know if you're atheist, agnostic. I don't know if you're indifferent or apathetic about God. But what I do know from the narrative of Scripture from my own life, the lives of many in this room, the stories of God changing lives all over the world, is that one day you can be mad at God, Christ shows up, the Spirit of God changes your life, and the next day you fall in love with Jesus. And so Paul, that's the narrative of his life. That's the story of what God is writing here. A man who is ravaging the church and was putting people in prison is now behind prison bars for attempting to start a new church. <laughs> one of the reasons we are here, one of the reasons we came to Los Angeles, one of the reasons we plant a stake in the ground, we plant our lives in this city is because we believe that no matter how mad, how sad, how upset, how far you feel from God, we are convinced that Jesus has a great word for you and he can change your life and we have decided we will never stop introducing people to Jesus. And so the narrative of scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is unpredictable. The scripture says it blows wherever it desires. <laughs> and further, it's also so powerful that it can redirect your life to the places and positions you never would have thought you were going to be. <laughs> so why are we here today? Why did we come last year? Why do we hope to be here many years in the future? Can I tell you why we are here? We are here because we believe in the power of the gospel to transform your life. It's the narrative of Scripture. That's the heartbeat of God as he plants new churches. Not only just a new life, it's the kind of life that's so good you can hate God one day. When he shows up and transforms you, you become a lover of God the next. So let's look back in the story just for a moment, and then we're going to be done. So the jailer, the jailer, there's a, there's a storyline that God is writing here. There's another founder in the process that, that God is trying to weave here. And it happens to be a blue-collar city employee who works as a prison guard who... 
simply enjoys his job. He goes home and he loves his wife and his kids. He's not looking for trouble. And the storyline here is that God sees him and he has a place and a position in the founding of a brand new church. And so in verse 30, after Paul and Silas had been praying all night, reading the scriptures all night, testifying to the goodness of God all night. I find it interesting that it wasn't in the preaching of the gospel in that moment that the jailer had his heart inclined towards God. What happened was, what happened was, in the moment of freedom where the jailer knew they were going to go free, yet he was going to lose his life, the example of a radical, compassionate, counter-cultural believer in Jesus says, hold on just a minute. I'm not going anywhere. Don't take your life. God has a plan for your life. And so the jailer, as he sees the example of Paul, no doubt he heard the hymns that they were singing, the scripture they were reading, the testimony of God changing their life. At that moment, he invites Paul and Silas into his home, and Paul and Silas share the gospel, and his entire family comes to faith in Christ. So that's the nucleus of the core team who started the church of Philippi. A successful businesswoman whose life was her job. A slave girl who was caught up in the chaos in life and she was told which way to go, where not to go, and how life was going to be. And a blue-collar city employee who just worked his job, loved his wife and his kids. He would go home at night, drink a beer, and watch Sports Center. He was just minding his business. And that was the nucleus that God used to plant a church in Philippi. A diverse crowd. <laughs> a diversity of skills and abilities. And desires. Now, let me say this. The same power that established the church in Philippi is the same church, it's the same power that we build on as a foundation today. And that we believe God will use to raise up as a foundation in our city. I want to do this. I, I, want, you, I want to identify very quickly a couple of the unifying threads of church planning and gospel movements. And I want to do it from this passage right here. I want you to see what happens when the Spirit of God moves into a city and He directs the activity and the action of the gospel and the fruitfulness of the gospel. And I want us to see it from Scripture. And here's the first one. And then after each one, here's one. I want, to, I want, I want you to see the church that I see here. Number one. Number one. God desires for churches to be started and to thrive. God desires for churches to be started and to thrive. In verse 6 through 10, it tells us that Paul initially started his missionary journey to the east, yet it says very clearly that God had called us to preach the gospel in another place. This wasn't just happenstance that, that Paul had a bad pizza one night. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is not what I thought. Of. This was the Holy Spirit of God before the foundation of the world knew that the church in Philippi needed to be established. And Paul was the one to establish it. God desires for new churches to be started. And he desires for new churches to thrive. There's 350,000 churches in America today. Four out of five are said to be plateaued or declining. One denomination said that 80% of new believers in their denomination came from churches who were less than two years old. One miss missiologist, one person who studies the movements of, 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 of the gospel throughout the world said, the most effective, the most effective and uh, methodology of, of seeing new people come to faith in Christ is through planting churches. 
I believe God has a great and deep desire for new churches to be founded and for them to thrive. Let me tell you the church that I see. Let me tell you the church that I see in this city that God has called us to. I see a church at every compass point in our city. We're, we're kind of in northern LA. I see a church plant on the west side of LA. I see a church plant on the south side of LA. I see a church plant to the east of LA. I see a church to the west, to the north. And I believe God is going to allow us to have our hands in the pieces of the gospel moving throughout our city. Now here's what I desire as a pastor. We're going to financially support churches all over our city. But the church I see is God identifying areas in our city that he says, you are personally going to own that area. I, I can't unfold it all for you today and time will limit it, but I want to say to you as a matter of prayer, this is the first time you're hearing this as a church, and there's just a handful of people who have heard it from us before. There's an opportunity right now in our city that God has, we hope that God has begun to open a door to be next door neighbors to one of the wealthiest and most influential zip codes in our city. And we believe God has opened the door so far to allow us to go in and to start a second campus at Story City. We don't know the timing of that. We don't know when it's going to happen. But God has begun to open that door. It's sooner than we imagined. It's quicker than we thought. But we see the hand of God moving over our city. And we are going to be a people who risk greatly for the gospel. I see a church at every compass point in our city. Why? Because God desires for new churches to be started and to thrive. Secondly, secondly, one of the unifying threads of gospel movements, new churches reach more people faster. New churches reach more people faster. Verse 5, it says in chapter 16, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. I believe God desires for people's lives to be transformed by the gospel. Let me tell you the church that I see. I see a church where people's lives are constantly being changed. I, I wish I had the moment to go around and begin to point out people's lives who are being transformed in our church. Um, some of you can stand up and testify in this moment that God is using a movement of the gospel in this city to change and transform your life. I just want to put a stake in the ground and say we believe in the radical grace of Jesus and we will never stop telling people about how good Jesus is and how he can change your life. That's the church that, our, that I see. A church where marriages are restored, where addictions are freed by the gospel. You don't know this, but God has been working recently, uncovering addictions in our church and allowing the gospel to seep through the life of a family in our church now. That's the church I see. Not just a gathering but a church where people's lives are being transformed. The third unifying threat of the gospel movement. The enemy of God hates new churches. <laughs> the enemy of God hates new churches. That says the crowd rose up against Paul and Silas. They tore their robes. They beat them with rods. They struck them with many blows. And they threw them in prison. The gospel is, viol the gospel is violently opposed by an alternate reality in our world. And that alternate reality is not just a nameless, faceless idea, mass of thoughts. That, that, that alternate reality that opposes the gospel always has names. Maybe names in this congregation. I don't mean that you're picketing our church today, although somebody may. 
I don't mean that you're shouting in the middle of service because you're opposed, but I'm saying there are people in our city who don't want new churches. The enemy opposes a new work of God. So what's our response? Here's the church that I see. (laughs) The church that I see is a church that gives more than it takes. The church that I see is a church that gives more than it takes. Why? Because we have this deep-seated belief that generosity, that generosity builds bridges and creates conversations in our city. We don't want to be the church that's constantly taking from people, and when they see us come, they cry because they know we're going to take something from them. We want to be the church that cheers because they see us coming, and they know we're bringing the goodness of the gospel with us. Tomorrow, we have a mission team that's coming in town from Apex, North Carolina. We're going to serve students. We're going to support a ministry that was started in our church for homeless people who transitioned from homelessness to housing. We're going to use every resource we have to be a church that believes in generosity, that gives more than we take. Number four, I'm almost done. The fourth thread of, that, that unifies gospel movements, the gospel is the centerpiece. The gospel is the centerpiece. We know from these stories that God opened Lydia's heart, that, that, that the slave girl was freed from the life of chaos, that the jailer and his entire family came to faith in Christ. Can I say to you, that is the point. That's the point of why God would send a man to plant a church in a city. It's the totality of the story of God and the reason we do what we do. It's not just rules. It's not more religion. It's not just a day to satisfy your religious curiosity We've made a conscious decision. I don't know if you know this, if you've been around. We've made a conscious decision not to juggle the social issues and challenges of our day. We're not not pro-Trump. We're not anti-Trump. We're not not pro this and pro that. Here's why. Because the gospel is the thing that we want to point you to. We want to put Jesus on the pedestal. And we believe when you have intimacy with Jesus, he will speak to you about some of those troubling things in our society. We're not going to be the church that juggles all of these cultural things and brings distractions to our church. If that's the church you want, I don't want to disappoint you today. You may want to keep looking because we are going to consistently point people to Jesus every single week. So let me tell you the church that I see because the gospel is the centerpiece. The church that I see is a church that's a home for every story. The church that I see is a church that's a home for every story. If the gospel, if the cross is is the, is the, um, if it's the place that levels all of us, like if it's the place where we all start, if the gospel and the cross is the starting point, then all of us come to the same place with the same starting point same perspective. We don't have to juggle all of these issues. But but here's what we are convinced about with the gospel. Yes, the gospel is the starting point. The cross is the starting point. But we just don't, you can come how you are, but let me tell you, our conviction about the gospel is that it will not leave you there. Um, You don't just come to church here at Story City for the pastor to read a Bible passage and and for you to tweet about it or Instagram about it, please do. That would be amazing. It's not just a church. For you to check in on Facebook, please do. It would be amazing. It's a church where we position the goodness of God in your life and you obey it. <laughs> it does you no good to come and just listen and have a religious experience every week. The gospel can transform you. And I 
promise you, because Jesus said it, there is abundant life on the other side. That's the church I see. Your story is welcome here. Number five, and I'm almost done. The labor of prayer is the hinge of a gospel movement in a city. Paul went to a prayer meeting. Paul prayed to Jesus to bring out the demon and the slave girl. Paul and Silas were praying in the jail. And I believe it was the hinge that unearthed the shackles in the prison. Prayer, the labor of such, is the hinge of a gospel movement in a city. Here's the church I see. Here's the church I see. I see a church where men and women are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we risk much for the gospel. There's gonna come a day when we're gonna stand up here and say, we're planning a church in Beverly Hills. Some of you live on the other side of the hill. I need you to help us start that church there. There's gonna come a day when we say, this has been an amazing home for us, but God has opened a door to, to purchase a facility of our own. We're gonna need you to give that day. There's gonna come a day when we say, we can no longer handle the needs that we have. You're gonna have to step up and serve this church and this city. I see a church where men and women are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and we risk much because we believe the gospel is gonna flourish in our city. I wish I could say more about that, but let me say the last. The last one is this, and I love this. One of the rhythms and one of the identifying, unifying factors of a gospel and church planning movement is that the stories that God is writing in the founding of a new church can't be predicted. A successful businesswoman, a girl whose life is chaos, a blue collar guy who just wants to get his job done and go home. God intersects all of those stories and he founds a church in Lydia's home. Could you have predicted that? <laughs> if we rolled the entire tape back, we would go back to Paul and ravaging the church. We'd go back to uh, the preaching of the gospel in Acts. Thousands of people are saved and the gospel flourishes around the world. You cannot predict the stories that God is gonna write. Now, let me tell you this. I see a church. I see a church that tells a great story. I see a church that tells an incredible story story. Um, we have storytellers in our church and in our city, and that's who we are. It would be insanity for us not to leverage us being a church that tells the story of God to the city of LA. Why? Because <laughs> we can't predict where God's going to move. We can't predict the narrative that God is going to join together and write. And those narratives have already begun in our church. Let me tell you a few, and then I'm done. I'm almost done. There was a girl who was riding in an Uber one day and her Uber driver happened to have an invite card from Story City Church. He doesn't go to our church. He got an invite card and he happened to tell the story of the story of God for the city of LA that has become Story City Church. And in the Uber driver and in the Uber car that night, Kim, where's Kim? Kim, stand up, Kim. Kim comes to Story City Church by an Uber. Kim has been one of the greatest blessings to our church. She serves in a million different ways. She helped us find a new sound guy. She leads worship for us on Sunday mornings. God wove a story in the back of an Uber car. Can't predict the stories that God's writing. Keep standing, stay there. <laughs> Noah and Matt, from story, from just outside of, okay, y'all gotta stop clapping because I'm never gonna get through this. 
just outside of, no kidding, I'm not making this up, just outside of Story City, Iowa, seriously. Just outside of Story City, Iowa, two guys moved to LA because of the industry. They happened to read an article in Relevant Magazine. They show up on Sunday in a comedy club. And now today, um, Noah is a major part of our creative team. Matt takes every picture that happens and flows through our social media accounts. He helped create the video that you saw today. God wrote a narrative to join some stories together through an article in a magazine. Let me tell you a third story. Jerry, Ron, and Doyne. Doyne, sitting on the front row, showed up when we launched this church one year ago today. Almost today. Two days from now. It's actually the day. But one year ago, Doyne showed up at church. He goes back home and he tells his friend Ron and Jerry. Where are they? There they are. He says, you got to come to this church. Ron, Jerry, Doyne have not missed a Sunday in an entire year in our church. They were out of town. We're supposed to be out of town on our New Year's Day service. They said, hey, Pastor Matt, we can't be there. Can you get somebody to call, fill our place? Yes, no problem. We hate that we'll miss you. They called back the next day. We changed our plans. We're going to be here. We're going to serve that day. God wove a story through a guy doing, I don't even know how you found out about Story City, but I'm glad you did. Here's another story that God's weaving. We gave out free ice cream. Generosity Project creates conversations and builds bridges. We were in, um, in a park. Now, I forget the name of it, but we were in a park passing out ice cream one day. We literally buy out an entire ice cream truck. We give free ice cream to everybody in the park. There's a girl there named Lisa with two little kids, and there was a mission team here from Atlanta, Georgia, and my wife's best friend was on that team. She walks over to Lisa, and she starts talking, and Lisa and Jeremy, where are they? They show up at Story City Church, and now they host a community group. God is weaving a narrative because of a free ice cream. Riley, are you here? Riley is here. Before we ever did anything in this city, actually we've been here two years, but I showed up at Umami Burger to enjoy a burger one night, and there was this girl named Riley who served our table. One conversation led to another. Riley came to our house for the first ever meeting that we had in our house. She showed up, she saw Ian, she saw Ellen, and she said, oh my gosh, you guys are here too. They went to college together in New York. Now Riley is a part of our church. God is weaving a story. Through, through a server at Imami Burger, Katie and Corey. Katie and Corey's dad reached out to me one day and said, can you meet us at Denny's? Um, and so I went to Denny's and I love a good meal at Denny's. And, and they introduced us to Katie and Corey who lived in San Diego and praise God, they left San Diego, moved back to LA. And now they are a part of Story City Church. I'm, gonna, I'm, just, I'm not gonna stop there because I gotta weave something together here for just a moment. Ellen, who's here, was my next door neighbor. And Ellen came to the first meeting we ever had in her home, and, and she met Riley. She's like, oh my gosh, you guys are here too. And Ellen has been a part of our church ever since. Stay there, I've got to weave another story together. Josh and Megan moved from Minneapolis, a great job in Target. Stand up, I didn't tell you before, but I need you to stand up. Josh and Megan found our website by searching churches on in L.A., Josh and Megan came the first Sunday. I don't think you've missed a Sunday. And they committed to be a part of Story City Church. Josh and Megan are now leading part of our counseling ministry. But let me tell you the narrative that God has woven together in our church. Katie has a nonprofit ministry that transitions people from homelessness to housing. Katie met Megan. Megan became the vice president. 
Katie knew Ellen. Ellen is all things to all people, including a babysitter and a driver when you have the surgery that makes your cheeks look all puffy. I'm gonna post a video soon. These three now serve with a nonprofit ministry together because God wove a story together in our city and in our church. Patrick and Ileana and their kids, Naomi and Tyler. Patrick is in downtown and he gets a card that's handwritten that says, um, we called it reverse panhandling. We station people in places where you'd naturally expect somebody to ask something from you. But rather than asking for something from you, we give something to you. And it came in the form that day of a handwritten note that said, we hope this can be a bit of encouragement to you today. Patrick, Ileana, their kids are now a critical part of our church. Patrick does all of our podcasting stuff. It's a story God was writing in the middle of downtown because of a simple handwritten note. I gotta hurry. Justin and Sam. Justin and Sam. Justin was in a coffee shop. Tyler was in a coffee shop. Kyler was having conversation. Justin leaned in. They became friends. And all of a sudden, Justin and Sam show up at our church and are critical parts of our church. And he doesn't know it yet, but he's going to help us start a student ministry this year in our church. All right? Now, the story doesn't stop. Where's Justin? Where's Justin? Where's Justin? He's somewhere else. Now, listen to me. Josh Josh and your boys, all of you stand up. Justin came to a core team meeting on a beach one day before we ever launched a church. He brought a couple dudes who he was investing into. Those dudes started coming to our church, including Josh. Josh, is your mom and sister here? Well, we'll we'll pray for them and forgive them, all right? Josh's mom and sister are now a part of Story City Church because Justin met Tyler. Justin invited these dudes. He invited his mom and dad. And God is weaving a story together in our city. Now, wow, I'm way over time. Stand up with me. I'm sorry. I do this all the time. I apologize. Look at me real quick. We don't know the stories that God is writing in our city. And you know what? That gives us boldness. By the way, I could say that about a hundred different stories in this room. We don't know the stories that are right. So that gives us boldness. What does it give us boldness to do? To look at somebody and say, hey, why don't you come join me? (laughs) Why don't you come join me? Just be a part of what God is doing here. I believe God wants to do something incredible in our city, and he wants to do it through you and this church. That's the church I see. I want to pray for us. We're going to sing a song. We're going to enjoy In-N-Out Burger and Jumpin' Jumpies, and it's going to be awesome. Jesus, you're too good to us. Thank you for the narrative that you're writing. God, the rhythms of a church planning and gospel movement, we can't see. They're unpredictable, but praise God, it's not up to us. I'm reminded that because you're writing narratives we never expected, we never could see, we're reminded that it's not up to us to grow a church and to build a church. It's up to the power of the Word of God and the conviction of the Holy Spirit to direct the story. And God, in that fact, we trust. Thank you for the story you're writing at Story City Church. In Jesus' name, everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen, amen. Amen. Let's sing.